Hi, this is Shivani Samaya, and welcome back to the Financial Executives Podcast. The past two years have tried and tested the American economy unlike ever before. For the finance and banking industry, the pandemic brought about the highly anticipated digital transformation at an unprecedented accelerated pace. It introduced new players in the payment services sector and challenged the way in businesses sent and received payments. And for the consumer credit sector, the pandemic largely altered plans to implement reporting methods. On this episode of the podcast, we look back at FEI's Forward Thinking discussion series with three banking and finance executives. Mr. John Bo Okpara, Chief Accounting Officer at Citigroup. Ms. Christy Carstensen, Chief Financial Officer of Payment Services at U.S. Bank and Mr. David Fabricant, Senior Vice President and Deputy Controller at American Express. Joining us for this discussion are ProTivity's Managing Director, Leading the Business Process Improvement Financial Services Practice, Tanya Humers, and Robert Hafs, Janine Cahoon, Managing Vice President, Managing the Business Solution Practice and Financial Services Segment. Tanya and Janine, before we deep dive into our conversation today, could you please give us an overview of your career and your background? Absolutely, Shivani. This is Tanya. Um, Yeah, just talk a little bit about my background. Um, I started my career over 25 years ago um, at what what was Chase Manhattan Bank at the time in their finance associate program. Um, Spent several years at Chase. Um, before moving into a, a long-standing consulting career, which began with Price Waterhouse, uh, transitioned to Price Waterhouse Coopers, and then was bought over by IBM, um, I spent many years um, at those firms, and then started my own business in consulting. Um, later, came back and uh, worked for Ernst and Young in their strategic transformation practice, and then recently joined Protivity to lead the business performance improvement practice and financial services. Across my career, I've worked globally in in over 13 countries and, of course, all across the United States. I've done many large-scale finance transformation projects focused clearly on banks, insurance companies, and asset managers. Um, I've done quite a bit of work in financial crimes and compliance, running many large-scale AML KYC remediations, and also target operating mark. Uh, top target operating model work and um, work in data architecture. Um, So that's all for me, but I'll pass it over to my colleague, Janine, to introduce herself. Janine? Thank you so much, Tanya. So much like Tanya, my career also began about over 25 years ago, where I came out of college and began working in the financial services sector. And after a couple of years, joined the Robert Half family back in 1996 initially focusing on placement of finance and accounting professionals. And throughout the years, taken on several roles that varied from leadership in our field operations, opening new practice groups with the firm, and eventually moved over to our strategic accounts group that manages and oversees our largest clients that tend to be international and of significant focus and complexity. And now what I do is partner with Tanya and the ProTivity teams to interact with an enterprise approach. So we're acting with senior level managers in the financial services segment to solve for several issues 
initiatives across various business units within whether it be big banks, investment, insurance, and the like. So happy to be here with you today. Thank you. The financial services industry has been amazingly resilient through the pandemic in all services and sectors. However, now it seems that we're entering an even more challenging environment with the threat of a recession. Janine and Tanya, in what ways do you see banks, asset managers, and other financial services enterprises preparing for a downturn? Well, Shivani, uh, the pandemic was a challenge of operations. It was really financial institutions that had to learn how to pivot fast enough to be able to service customers through new delivery models. A recession uh, will likely pose more core business challenges that will force financial institutions to incorporate lessons learned from 2008 and 2009. Um, Banks, asset managers, and insurance companies will need to find innovative ways to cut costs without damaging customer experience. Hence, we're seeing a large focus on automation, digitization, and cost optimization combined. I completely agree with you, Tanya. And as you know, During a recession, many individuals and companies aren't able to repay their loans. So as a result, banks see higher loan losses and during a recession, like in 2020, U.S. banks had to set aside billions of dollars toward loan loss reserves. Since that proposed recession ended soon, banks released their reserves last year in 21, which boosted their profitability that year. However, now... We are, again, seeing banks increasing reserves for loan losses. And that's probably right to do. Just this past month, we already saw a 3.4% increase in mortgages moving from current to past due. So in addition to these losses, during a recession, the damage or demand for new loans, both from individuals as well as companies, falls. This invariably leads to lower revenues for banks. And revenues from stock trading and investment banking also tend to fall during a recession. We've already started to see signs of a severe downturn and slowdown in both these sectors. Usually, the Federal Reserve lowers interest rates during a recession to provide support to the economy. However, at this time, the Fed is actually raising rates to cool inflation. So a raising rate environment and a recession won't help banks as it only increases the loan losses and makes loan servicing even tougher for borrowers. Anyone with an adjustable rate mortgage is really starting to worry at this time, and it's expected the loan losses will be significantly higher. You're right, Janine. We're definitely seeing changes with our financial services clients to move the focus to cost optimization and digitization. Um, Companies are going to need to figure out how to make up for lower demand or increase losses. However, they really can't afford to risk customer experience because we see competition in the market really affecting companies that have been around a long time. FinTechs have always been challenging the banks and smaller, more agile insurance companies like Geico and Progressive are challenging the big traditional companies like Allstate. Now we will hear from John Bull Okpara, Chief Accounting Officer at Citigroup. The world of tech is evolving rapidly, Uh, you know, and I'm not an expert in all the topics here, but, you know, things like quantum computing, machine learning, crypto, artificial intelligence, metaverse. I mean, it's just a lot of things dominating the the discourse here Uh, and all of these tech trends are underpinned by digital. Uh, And so in terms of where things are going, uh, I'd say on the consumer side, 
uh, it's really, you know, from from where I sit, from a banking standpoint, uh, it's really how do you leverage digital on uh, digital channels to listen to your customers, to better assess, to better understand their preferences? Um, how do you use the information that you get from your customers? Um, and how do you mine that data to really, uh, you know, understand their needs and customize your products uh, appropriately? Um, and, you know, the trend is, you know, to declutter it's to make things simpler how do you provide digital solutions which are simple uh to use and that 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 provide impactful customer experiences uh and so um you know there's just a lot of choice out there as you mentioned uh you know the, the the pandemic uh you know forced a lot of people to have to use digital tools uh because we weren't traveling uh, wearing, uh, going shopping, et cetera. So you had to get used to new ways of doing things. I mean, the term Zoom uh, was not in the lexicon uh, before the pandemic. Uh, and so, uh, you know, our goal is to simplify, make things easier, make it more second nature, and really to get closer to the customer to understand their preferences better. The one thing that underpins digital is is data. Uh, you know, data is growing exponentially every day. Uh, and so we must lean on technology and use all the data to get proactive and become more predictive with the data. So you have data that sometimes exists in silos. Uh, you have data that individually does not give you any insights. And so, uh, you know, digital tech will help us bring it all together, mine the data better, mine data in real time, uh, mine data and, and leverage it to provide services to our clients in real time, uh, you know, with a good understanding of their needs and needs at points in time. Uh, and then, you know, you've heard of blockchain and it's making it easier to settle transactions and there's more to come there. And I think there'll be an evolution in, in the understanding, the use uh, and the utility of blockchain. And so I expect the digital trends continue to accelerate. Mr. Okpara really brings home the impact of digital advances on banking and the importance of data. What are some of the initiatives that you see your financial services clients initiating when it comes to data and how are they ensuring their data is robust and accurate? Shivani, that is a great question. Data quality is essential in banking due to its sensitivity. People rely on banks to take special care of their money. Their lives, as well as their work, literally depend on these safeguards. Therefore, it stands to reason banks should handle data that is simple to understand and always secure. Also, as John Bull mentioned, data is essential for properly targeting customer needs. So it's a critical for future growth as financial service institutions get this right. Tanya, thoughts? Yeah, it it may be simple to assume that all financial services companies handle data to impeccable quality standards. And while all institutions should ensure their data is clean and easy to understand, it's not always a simple process, as we know. Data quality challenges in the financial services industry due to old legacy systems that may be simple to spot, you know, it's just not that easy to fix. 
Spending money on system modernization during a possible upcoming recession is also a challenge. There are, you know, some big data quality issues that financial institutions are dealing with. And Janine, I'm guessing you know what these are. Oh, I do. Yes. I would guess that top of mind for our client is privacy and security. So banks and asset managers are always under immense pressure to assure users that their money is safe. This is no longer as simple as friend, the friendly local manager giving a customer their word, right? Billions of people place their trust in global banking, whether it's online or via the phone or even in person. And as a result, financial services companies must ensure data security is not only in place, but that it's provable. Duplication of data and records can lead to inaccuracies and potential breaches. It is another effect of the data lake, which may not always be evident on the surface. The worrying statistic, if you can believe this, that only 8% of banks are up to date on software and hardware does not help. So the trends that we're seeing in privacy and security include one, data cleansing, projects to create data lakes with accurate customer information. The second is focus on financial crimes, the detection and the monitoring along with some fraud operations. And then the third is a great focus on cyber and protecting enterprise data from hacks and the security that's up in the cloud. Yeah, security and privacy are super important, but financial institutions are also dealing with changes in expectations and demand from customers. Financial expectations are constantly changing and global shifts and crises since 2020 show us that more and more people have adopted digital banking, as John Bull talked about in his in his lecture, and a trend that many analysts believe will continue. However, even with the best quality data available, how can banks be sure they're ready to meet these challenges and changes? Data quality and financial institutions need to be scalable. They need to be fluid. They need to be responsive. And we need to make sure that we drain data lakes of duplicate information. Not only that, but financial institutions need data matching and cleansing strategies that can help set a new precedent for the institution. Some of the trends that we're seeing and changing expectations around data include data cleansing, you know, a, a abundance of projects that are created to create these data links with the data linked appropriately to allow them to create a total customer view. That will give their leaders better insight to make better decisions and targeted sales for their customers. Second, there's a focus on delivering information to customers through many different means, but with a similar customer experience. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, I think. Um, everything you know, must really be real-time. There's no appetite for lags in reporting. And that obviously requires system modernization for many institutions to replace either bad manual processes or systems that just can't keep up with the real-time need. And lastly, there's a broader scale of data that's required to allow for further analytic insights more automation and event-driven actions. Yeah, so that last item that you mentioned is pretty relevant to the risk assessment challenges that banks and asset managers specifically are facing. Data is that huge proponent in the risk assessment system. So if banks and asset managers do not have faith in the information they use when they analyze, they cannot be confident in approaching unknown risks. Banks and asset management firms without confidence are, of course, hardly likely to inspire confidence in their account holders. So the failure to assess risk properly in the banking industry could lead to severe reputational damage, which of course is one of the biggest fears a C-suite can own. It could lead to a financial loss on a large scale. And these factors can also lead to national economic failures 
as well as an outcry from the banking customers. So data in banking must be clean and concise to offer confident solutions. A common issue from, that banks may face is that their disparate data they need to make risk assessments is difficult to piece together. And some of the trends that support this are that the data sourcing, the finding the automated ways to pull clean data in for real-time risk assessment. Data governance and quality continue to be a focus area to ensure operational and regulatory accuracy and controls. Greater automation and operational practices around data management are key. A focus on using advanced reporting analytics is another really good one. Real-time key performance indicators to advise management of early issues in the process. And then, of course, there's the modern data. Our architectures in the cloud continue to be a focus to gain greater scalability. Now we will hear from Christy Carstensen, Chief Financial Officer of Payment Services at U.S. Bank. Consumers, we want easy to use tools in the office like outside of work. Um, I mentioned the power of our, our phone and it's seeming like everybody pulls that out of a pocket. It's at our fingertips. You don't see many people not walking around with it in your fingertips. And to me, that's the consumerization of payments. That's what it's about. Uh, one of my colleagues has said that, you know, you go home and, and you're watching TV on all your streaming devices and then you go to work and you've got a black and white TV. Um, and so it's, it's, the, it's that expectation that's being built in us as consumers that we're bringing to work and it's driving changes. Um, we're seeing this one real uh, example is in travel and expense tools, um, accounts receivable programs. Um, I talked about real-time B2B uh, payments. And, and so, you know, I think that a good of the pandemic is the spark that it lit and the speed at which we're now developing um, behind this, this payments innovation. Um, a, another example in this space um, that's, that's really near and dear to the pandemic is, uh, as all employees were sent home in the spring of 2020, um, we started to hear from our corporate credit card clients that they needed ways to more quickly provide their now remote-based employees ways to make purchases. So you didn't have that office exchange anymore. So um, home office equipment, how do I purchase that um, without using my, my personal credit card? And then there being this huge reconciliation that, that corporates and, and businesses need to do on the back end because of that. On-site, so there were still on-site employees, but not your regular setup in some cases who were now needing to purchase PDE and cleaning equipment. And so to meet this need, uh, we actually, we were already developing, but we accelerated our development. And in June of 2020, we launched the US Bank Instant Card. So it's a virtual corporate card that um, provides that fast, efficient way for employees, contractors, external consultants to make authorized purchases and, um, and kind of support that, that business continuity. So we've certainly accelerated investment in this space. I've talked about several examples um, that highlight that, not only with us, but in the industry. Um, and, and, and we'll continue developing innovative products faster because of this increased demand that we see in the convenience and the efficiency that, that we're all desiring because we experience it on the consumer side of, of our activity. 
Christy really drives home how the pandemic changed customers' expectations, both with consumers and corporate customers. Have your clients seen the same dynamic and how will customers' expectations change even further as we enter an economic downturn? That's a great question, Savani. And well, frankly, the concept of, you know, we have better tech as consumers and individuals than in the corporate environment had definitely been happening, you know, even before the pandemic. The pandemic just accelerated the change and the need for enterprise technology to get a lot better, faster, easier to work with, as Christy mentioned, with her commercial card and virtual account example. Banks are often the slowest part of the value chain, so they need to do more, they need to be faster, and they need to be motivated and committed to the change. I absolutely agree with you, Tanya. I have some points to add related to how did the pandemic change customer expectations and what we will continue to expect from the clients related to pay and be paid type of situations. So first, before the pandemic started, when thinking about the future of dining and consumer spend, you would imagine whether one day there would be a context of order ahead. Of course, as we know, the pandemic forced this as people were unable to eat in restaurants. In many cases, they would order ahead and have it delivered. One day soon, everything will be order ahead. Even when you're sitting in a restaurant, it will be a version of order ahead. And that concept is happening right in front of us. We sit at a restaurant, we have a menu on our phone, and we can pay a bill via our phone the QR code, something like that, link it to your mobile wallet. So all you need is the order piece and we will do everything on our phone. So whether we're sitting at home ordering DoorDash or you're sitting at the park getting Uber Eats or sitting in a cafe with a person that brings you the food, it will all be on the device and everything will be a similar experience. For those that don't want to use their phone, great. There will always be the menus, there will always be takeout, et cetera, but we are seeing the experience really blur. I really agree with you, Janine. We recently did a project for a major hotel that was focused on the future of payments. Yet, as we got into the project, it quickly became blended in with, you know, what's the digital customer experience? Because you can't really advance payment functionality without thinking of a completely digital experience these days. How you connect with the customer, What means of communication will they want? The timing of getting what they want, how to pay, when to pay, choices of payment goes on and on. But similar to the dining example you mentioned, the lines are really blurred. People don't want to pick up a house phone at a hotel property and talk to someone. They want chat, maybe in an app, maybe via text. They want to pay for something on their bill or their folio, but maybe they want to do that through Apple Pay. They want to be recognized when they're at the hotel and they want to be rewarded, even if they're not actually staying at the property that day. And they want that all to be done digitally. So it's really up to commercial companies and their enterprise strategies to step up and meet the digital needs, being able to not interact with the human for things and having seamless mobile digital experiences are going to be really important. And the pandemic made that even more important. Yeah, that's a great point, Tanya. And I find myself mirrored in in some of your comments. So in other work with banks and how they improve payments, they also want a complete experience. So not just being the issuer of the card or lender or provider of the professional services. They also want to accept payments like a merchant, often different type of real payment, like like a business to business or account to account. And similar to the two examples that we just discussed, 
They want to do this across all their channels. So having a similar experience if a person calls into a call center, visits their website, or interacts with the app, some sets of services, same easy experience. And this can be hard to do when the core bank platform is from one vendor, the app is from another vendor, and the online or the, the website is yet hosted through a third. And they connect externally via gateways, but they don't connect internally. And there's the disconnect. These customers get different experiences because of the tech versus the other way around. That's right, Janine. You know, just last week, we were with an entire executive team from a small bank, and this was exactly the use case we were discussing. And they asked us for a full payment strategy to link all of these pieces, enable payment acceptance, as well as payment facilitation across all channels. And it will take a while, but the pandemic has changed the, you know, I can go to a branch to get what I need. And I can go to any channel the bank offers to get what I need is, is the difference, right? It's the same experience, but the tech connects behind the scenes to make it all happen and processing payments and everything else that goes with it. It's just not as simple as we all used to know. Now we will hear from David Fabricant, Senior Vice President, Deputy Controller at American Express. It was almost a perfect storm of transformational accounting for credit reserves that we had that were required to be implemented for public companies in the same quarter of the start of the pandemic, but not the full quarter, part of the quarter. And, you know, Cecil had been out there for years that we all banks and financial institutions, anyone in the lending business uh, was working on preparing to go live with modeling, scenario analysis, uh, what it meant to your disclosures, an incredible amount of preparation leading up to the go-live quarter. You know, those scenarios that we planned for, we tried to simulate uh, the outcomes of what credit reserves would be needed in, in good times and bad, but surely not the way the economists predicted the economy would be looking in the quarter that we went live in a severe downturn. And that is the kind of the macroeconomic environment, which is a key, very important and significant input <clears throat> into the calculation and outcome of the credit reserves that we need. Because remember, for those of you that don't know, Cecil changed the way we view credit reserves to be more forward looking as opposed to the incurred loss model that existed for many, many years prior to that was really as a balance sheet date and backwards looking. So for the first time we had to start thinking forward uh, and we had the pandemic right on our heels, super challenging. Um, and it was already gonna be challenging, challenging to implement Cecil no matter what anyway, even in strong economic times. So now you're facing this. So, you know, like everyone else, uh, we weren't together. <laughs> We were all trying to figure out how to get our colleagues comfortable working virtually, but we had to double down on our collaboration tools and the technology the company gives us to do our work remotely and work through it. Um, we had about a month to react to this because it was just the start of the pandemic and working through the outcomes, the critical judgments, the key assumptions that we had to think through. Uh, and the validation, it was super tough, but actually quite effective. Why? Well, thankfully, American Express has great uh, collaboration tools, like many companies I'm sure that you work for. We didn't have people commuting, so we actually had some more time to work together. 
uh, as a blessing and a curse. In this case, it happened to be a blessing um, because that gave us that gave people time more time to focus and collaborate. Um, we worked through it, but the first couple of quarters out of the gate, it was quite rocky uh, in terms of the results and explanation of those. And trying to make sense of what these Cecil models were telling us, the reserves we needed when we were staring down something that was unprecedented. It was tough, but we got there. As David points out, even before the pandemic and the possibility of a recession, the finance function at banks and other financial services were dealing with the monumental task of implementing Cecil. Given all these challenges, how are banks dealing with the ongoing staffing in accounting and finance? So now you're really getting into my sweet spot, Shivani. So I love this. And really outside of the impact of Cecil, hiring has been a major focus for accounting and finance roles for some time. Here are some interesting statistics that we track and trend heavily. So when you look at the unemployment data published by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics this past July of this year, it showed that there was a 3.6% unemployment rate as a national average. And this is the one that you hear about in the political polls. But when you drill down into accounting and finance roles for college ed educated professionals that are, you know, 25 years or up, a little bit of experience under their belt, that number drops down to one, maybe 1.2%. Add in the specialization of financial services industry being a requirement, and that number continues to drop. So this has required banks to really evolve and adjust quickly to determine how they can attract and retain top talent. Yeah, so Jadine, this is not only about the great resignation, but also how do you compete for talent on the street and the new college graduates looking to launch their career? And what I've discussed with our financial services clients is what tactics they are engaging to win the war on talent and become that employer of choice that professionals are seeking to achieve their career growth coupled with, you know, their balance of work life like hybrid or even fully remote positions, which obviously increases your recruiting pool from the local market to the national landscape. Yeah, you are spot on, Tanya, and that's a conversation I have every day. It's, the, it's been the biggest challenge, and this is the biggest one that I have witnessed in over 25 years in the talent solutions industry, embracing the transformation that David spoke about to collaborate with your coworkers and your teams and your colleagues remotely has embedded that as the new priority for employers. And additionally, looking for a more robust recruiting plan with top-notch schools to form partnerships with key programs have brought forth stronger talent surges and entry-level workers. Yeah, and when client identify, identify initiatives that are you know, not really staffed appropriately or a talent gap by skills or function, they can also leverage a strong partner like Robert Half or Portivity to help them meet those critical timelines with quality professionals that deliver on time. And I know, Janine, that's, that's your business and your job for sure. Exactly. So yes, fantastic point. And now to wrap this all together, I'm curious to know, what are your expectations for the financial services industry for the final months of 2022 and going into the new year? Where do you both see the biggest challenges and opportunities coming from? Shivani, that is the golden question. So many financial institutions will continue to prepare for the recession with all of the items we just discussed. However, staffing and labor are huge challenges for them that will continue 
until the labor market starts to cool. And we spend a lot of time helping financial institutions with this huge challenge, also modernizing their systems, digitizing their customer experience, and creating better customer experiences to compete in the market, providing more and more flexibility to customers' delivery channels. So focusing on consumer privacy and protecting against breaches and hacks, tons of stuff to worry about through this year and moving into next year. So planning for the unknown in 22 with the expected economic downturn. Tanya? Yeah, Janine, you're right. You know, while we continue to watch what the Fed will do with interest rates to try and control inflation, but try not to cause a recession, you know, how the economy continues to reform, you know, I really see the financial services industry remaining stable throughout the remainder of 2022. Um, but, you know, consumer lending is flattened in the housing market. Credit card spending has not significantly increased, you know, signifying the average consumer is living within their means and starting to behave very smartly. I, I absolutely agree. The biggest opportunity for financial services firms will continue to be driving customer engagement and that consumer experience like the digital world that Christy discussed. It's all about ease of use and services provided. And great service remains critical. And it's not always consistent and not easily mastered. When I have the rare occasion to call my mortgage holder or my credit card company for assistance that I can't resolve online or access on the app, when I hang up that phone, it is the service that sticks in my mind. Yeah, you know, I just read an article about call centers, you know, remaining a vital customer service channel with just under 80 million people, in fact, 79.7 to be exact, calling their bank in 2021, at least one time during the year, needing help on their bank account, their credit card or something else. So banks still have a vast number of customers that still prefer to speak to someone live. So customer engagement is always going to be an area for improvement that needs to be focused on at these institutions. Exactly. And that's a very interesting statistic. And, you know, I think another hot area is ESG, right? The Environmental, Social and Governance Reporting, covering topics from diversity, equity and inclusion through to social and community investments and the partnerships. There is now a big, big uptick in developing and reporting on programs that will drive communication and either formal reporting to investors and shareholders or amongst the communities in which they operate. Yeah, you're right. You know, there's so much to talk about and we could probably go on and on all day, but I'm sure folks listening to this podcast need to get back to work or doing something fun. So, you know, the FEI Forward Thinking Series certainly had a fantastic set of speakers this year with John Bopara, Chrissy Carstensen, and David um, Fabrica. And we at Pertivity, you know, a wholly owned subsidiary of Robert Half, really appreciate being able to sponsor the series and provide our insights in some of the topics that were discussed. But, you know, please feel free to reach out to myself, Tanya Hummers, or Janine Cahoon on LinkedIn to connect and or to talk about more about the world and, and our capabilities here at Protivity and Robert Half. So thanks very much, Shivani. Appreciate it. Thank you. 